Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We are uh, closing out our series called The Promised Messiah. And whether you're new to the series or whether you've been coming over the last several weeks, what we've been doing in this short little series is we've been talking about the Christmas story. It doesn't actually start in the New Testament, but it actually starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. And really, here's what I hope that you walk away with in this series, is that God is a God who makes promises, and God keeps his promise. And the greatest promise that he has ever given us is that he is going to send send us Jesus, a Savior, and that's why we really celebrate Christmas. You know, the world, I think, celebrates Christmas for all the things we can get, but as followers of Jesus, we celebrate celebrate Christmas because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. And so that's what we're here to do. And uh, today we're going to be in Matthew. Uh, We've been over the last several weeks in the Old Testament, but Matthew, the reason why we're here is Matthew kind of bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament, that all the Old Testament stories that we've been talking about are now kind of crescendoing or making all sense uh, here in Matthew. And we're going to talk about this, that Matthew's this bridge here in just a minute. But Uh, This week I was thinking about it and I was thinking that, you know, Christmas really magnifies for a lot of us some of our deepest longings and desires in life. Whether they're really deep ones, really serious ones, whether we feel like they're maybe superficial ones, Christmas time really just magnifies all these deep longings and desires that we have. You know, if you get on social media, you'll see all your friends or or followers that you have, people that you follow. And they'll show you all the things that they have. And you think, man, why can't my life look like their life? Why can't my kids act like those kids? Why isn't my spouse like that? You know, why can't I live in that house? Why can't I have that job? Why can't I do this or that or have those things? And so we have this deep longing and desire inside of us. Or you could turn on the TV and or even again, social media, and you'll see all these gifts, all these things you need in life. If you have these gifts, if these things are under your tree, then you're going to feel more fulfilled. You'll be happy. It'll make it the best and most memorable Christmas of all. But all of those things are like a firework blast on the 4th of July. In, In the moment, it's amazing. It's spectacular. It's beautiful. You're like, wow, that's everything you hoped it would be. And then it's gone. And for some of us here today, we're trying all year long to fill the void in our hearts that really only Jesus can fill. In fact, the Bible even says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Here's what this means. We all know there has to be more to life than just this life. See, we've been made in the image and likeness of God. And because of this, we will never be fully satisfied in this life. No matter what we achieve, no matter how many goals we reach, no matter our relationship status, how full the Christmas tree is, there will always be something missing. But see, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, not only will you have a life worth living, Not only will you find the meaning of life, but you'll also have hope beyond this life. And so for some of us here today, Christmas seems to magnify for us our deep longings and desires in this life. And I think that's why we love stories. Whether we read stories in a book or whether we watch our stories in the form of a movie, we all love stories because at some point, some of these great stories can touch some of the deep desires and longings that we all have. In fact, I came across a quote this week uh, from a guy named J.R.R. Tolkien. 
And if you know who he is, he's the guy who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't watched those, I would encourage you, hey, Christmas, watch one of them. You know, like I grew up uh, years ago when those movies were new, they came out around Christmas time. So they're kind of fun for me to watch during Christmas. And um, I don't think they're Christmas, although I will say Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And you're like, no, no, it's not here. Okay, hold me out. Here's the proof text. Home Alone's a Christmas movie, right? Die Hard is a Christmas movie for adults that's just like Home Alone, okay? So think about that. Let that sing. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, okay. (laughs) But, okay, back to Tolkien, all right? So uh, he said this. He was a follower of Jesus, and he said this, that we all have deep longings and desires in life, and all fictional stories have a foundation in the one true story. And I thought about that uh, this week, and I was like, man, I think we should put that to the test. So we're going to be a little interactive, all right? I'm going to kind of describe a movie, and you tell me which one I'm describing, all right? You ready? First one is, it stars a guy, and he wears a hat. He has a whip. Indiana Jones. There we go. I heard heard so many things. Say it loud and say it proud, all right? The Lord isn't going to strike you down if you get it wrong, all right? So... It's Indiana Jones. Now, we got to get specific because there's five of them, right? Okay, so this one has the Ark of the Covenant in it. Raiders are the Lost Ark. Yep, there you go. You guys got that. So if you've never seen the movie, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Like, it's been out for a long time. But uh, the premise of the story is all these people are trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. Because if you find the Ark of the Covenant, you're going to have life. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to live a long life. Be invincible. Live this better life. I think for some of us, we connect with that story because for some of us, that's a deep longing and desire that we have. All right, here's another one, a little bit more new. Um, it, uh, there's, it involves a, a duel to the death, kind of a game style. There's, yes, that's right. Man, who said that? That's good job. Wow, you're on top of it. I love that. Last service was like, um, you know, like... <laughs> You guys are on top. I barely got two. All right. So the Hunger Games, all right? The Hunger Games, they, um, if you don't know the premise of it, uh, basically it's a duel to the death. You go in there and two people are chosen from every sector. I think there's like 12 sectors and uh, the, the, two people are always chosen to represent their sectors. Well, in the very first movie, um, the younger sister of the Everdeen family, there's Katniss, who's the older one, and Primrose, who's the younger one. And uh, Primrose is chosen, but Katniss looks at her and goes, well, no, you, you've got a long life. Like you've got a lot to live for. So take me instead. I want to stand in the place of my sister. I think we can all kind of see the plot in that one. Now this one, we should all get last service got it as well. Uh, This one involves a lady falling asleep, a death-like sleep because she ate a apple. Snow White. That's it. Yep. There we go. Snow White. Um, Snow White, if you recall, she ate this apple and she fell into this like death-like sleep and uh, she was out. But the only thing that could awaken her from her death-like sleep is a kiss from her prince, you know, her one true love. And that would awaken her from her sleep and bring her to life. Again, I think we can kind of see the plot line there. And I think we could go on and on and on and on and see that J.R.R. Tolkien is actually correct that every good fictional story has an underlining story that points to the greatest story ever told. 
And I think for a lot of us, we connect with these stories. We love these stories. We immediately think of these stories because for a lot of us, those stories connect with us because it connects with those deep longings and desires that we have in life. We have these things that only God can fill. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of today's message is The Greatest Story Ever Told. The Greatest Story Ever Told. And all throughout this series, we've been talking about how this one true story, it's not a fictional story, it is a real story. And you might be like, well, how do you know this? Well, like I said earlier, Matthew is about bridging the Old Testament with the New Testament. And right off the bat, Matthew is showing us the legitimacy of Jesus when he says this in Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, in these first 16 words in English, eight in the Greek, what we see is a summary of the entire story of the Bible. See, the story of the Bible can be understood by looking at key characters that carry the story along. We see Adam, Abraham, David, and all fulfilled here in Jesus. Now, you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, okay, well, but Adam isn't mentioned here. Where are you getting Adam from? Well, his story is contained in the very first few words there when it says the book of the genealogy. That could be translated the book of Genesis. And this phrase occurs in the Greek Old Testament in only two places, Genesis 2.4 and Genesis 5.1. See, Genesis 2.4 is about the origin of heaven and earth, the place Well, Genesis 5.1 is about the origin of Adam and Eve, the people. So really what we see is that um, from the beginning, it was God was in the business of establishing his people in his place by his power. It began with Adam and Eve and continued through Abraham and David and is all fulfilled in Jesus. And so uh, Matthew is using very familiar language because you got to understand Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. And so he's like, hey, all of you good Jewish people, you should remember all of these stories, all these things that you've studied, all these things that you've learned and grown up with, all of these people. Because again, he starts off, if you look, Matthew chapter one, it's a whole bunch of names. And so what he's trying to do is he's establishing the fact that this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a science fiction story. This doesn't begin with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. But this is the one true story, the greatest story ever told. And so what this genealogy shows us, what these words show us is that Jesus is our only hope. And as we've been saying, and what this genealogy shows us here is that God is a God who makes promises and he keeps those promises. And so the Christmas story is about God rescuing us. So I hope that you have, you found Matthew chapter one. If you did pick up in verse 18, and if not, you could just listen. It says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, now a betrothal, if you don't know what that is, that's just an engagement. You can think of it like an engagement period. Uh, They're there just making sure they're pure before marriage and all of that. So it's just this kind of engagement, long engagement period time. Um, So she's betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, so before they were married, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Sounds weird to you? Sounded really weird to them. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You need to understand this. During this betrothal period, Mary being found to be pregnant and wasn't Joseph's child, well, this was not a good situation for her. This wasn't the most wonderful time of the year for her because women did not have rights like they have now. 
And so what would happen to Mary is she would have been cast out. She could have been killed. She could have been disowned by her family. They didn't have health care. So that would have been a really terrible place for her to be as well. And so this wasn't a good situation for her. But again, Joseph following the Lord, being a good Jewish man, he's like, I don't want harm to come to Mary. And so we just are going to try to go separately, go quietly our own ways. And then it says uh, in verse 20, But as he considered these things, so he's mulling this all over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 is kind of going to be our verse that's going to kind of launch us into what we're going to talk about today. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. If I were to ask you how to summarize the story, if you ask me, hey, would you summarize the story? I would summarize it this way, that Christmas celebrates God sending his son into this world so that we could be saved. See, that's ultimately what Christmas is about. Now, there's a whole lot that we've added to the celebration of Christmas. There's a lot of other stories that we talk about that surround the celebration of Christmas. But the meaning of Christmas is really summarized here as a time that we celebrate God sending his son into this world so that we could be saved. But that raises some very important questions that I want to ask and answer in the time that we have left today. And here's the first one. Why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to be saved? Because if we're being real honest with ourselves today, I mean, Christmas brings out the best version of ourselves, right? Like for a lot of us, we're more generous during this time. We like to give. We might say the phrase a lot more, like it's better to give than to receive, you know? We're looking for ways to be more generous with our time, with our money. We're, we're looking for ways to bless other people. You know, maybe during traffic on Wilma Rudolph, you're not trying to cuss people out as they're cutting you off. You're just like, the Lord bless you and love you and keep you this Christmas morn, you know? And maybe, maybe those kinds of things are, are going through your mind because you're like, I'm just going to love people. Maybe family's coming in or you're going to go see family later. And you might not like them any other time of the year, but you're like, you know what? Jesus loves them. And because this is Christmas, I'm going to show them love too, you know? I'm going to tolerate them this year and, and listen to what they have to say and show them the best love, you know? Uh, But let's just be honest, Christmas time for a lot of us brings out the best version of ourselves. And so many of us, we're just kind of like, well, why do I even need to be saved? Like, look, I'm a pretty decent person. Like, if nothing else, this last month just shows that I'm not that bad of a person. I'll give you three reasons why we need to be saved. One is because we're all broken. And this is as true for me as it is for you. We live in a world of brokenness. But during the holidays, we do a great job of covering it up. We cover it up with parties, we cover it up with songs, with movies, with celebrations, with gift wrap, with lots of food. But at the end of the day, December 26th rolls around, the songs stop, the movies stop, the lights shut down, and we see the world around us is broken. And we don't have to look too far. We could see relational brokenness, financial brokenness, marital brokenness, broken dreams, broken promises. For a lot of us, we can look in the mirror and go, man, my body's falling apart. It's broken, you know? And the list can just go on and on and on. And if we're honest today, as we look at our lives, we can admit that there's a lot of brokenness that exists in our lives. 
But here's what I want you to know today. That was not God's design. That's not the way that God created the world. God created the world. When he created it, it was perfect. In fact, you can see, he says, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. God placed the very first two human beings in this world, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were able to enjoy all of God's creation. They were even able to enjoy a relationship with God himself, the creator. But just like we said in week one, Adam and Eve chose to reject God's plan. They rejected his word and they decided to do things their way instead of God's way. And that's when sin entered the picture. When sin came into this world, sin brought with it brokenness. And since Adam and Eve chose to do things their own way, brokenness is a reality that we all live in in this world. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. That has everything to do with Adam and Eve. What does that have to do with me? Like that happened a long time ago. That was then, but what does that have to do with me? Well, let me tell you what it has to do with you. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that word all means? It means that it's way bigger than Adam and Eve. It means all of us. Now, this is important for us to note because this is in the past tense. So what the writer of Romans is doing here is he's looking back at all of our lives and he's recognizing it's not Adam and Eve who just chose to reject God's plan. Every single one of us have chosen to reject God's plan. Every single one of us have had moments in our lives where we're like, you're not that great of a God, I'm God. I know how things could be. I know which direction is best. I know which way to go. I know what's best for me. And as we look back on our lives, again, if we are honest with ourselves, we can all see that we've all acted this way, that we've all chose to do things our own way and do our own plans. But notice it's not just the past for all have sinned. He now hits the present tense and fall short. Meaning if we decided from this day forward, I'm going to be a different person. I'm not going to live that way. What the writer is saying here is that as we continue to live our lives, there's still going to be moments in our lives where we are going to choose to reject God's plan, God's ways, and do things our own way. And here's what the Bible says. Because of sin, we live in a world that's broken. Now, I'm not saying that everything in our lives that's broken is a direct result of our sin. Some of those things are the consequences of our life and a direct result of our own choices. But ultimately, all the brokenness is a consequence of sin. So why do we need to be saved? Because we're all broken. But another reason why we need to be saved is because our brokenness keeps us from God. You see, the only hope that we have to get out of the brokenness we are in is to be restored into a relationship with God. God is the one who created us. God made us to live in relationship with him. That's why we all have longings and desires in our hearts that only God can fill. See, God is the master at taking the broken pieces of our lives and building them into a beautiful picture. But the tragedy is because we've all sinned against God, we're cut off from a relationship with God. You're like, well, how do I know that? Well, Isaiah 59 says it this way. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and he will not listen anymore. We could say it this way. You know, we live in a generation that loves to point the finger and blame everything else for all of our problems. It's kind of a mantra. Well, it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And I think we do this with sin as well. We all try to play the victim card. 
Well, I'm a victim of my sin. It's because of my parents. It's because I was raised this way. It's because I grew up in that neighborhood or in that culture. It was because I did these things. Like we like to just point the finger and say, well, it's because of this or because of that. But listen, what this verse is telling us is that we didn't, we're not victims of sin. We all chose sin. And it's because of our sin that we can't be in the presence of God like we were meant to be. See, God cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. And I think some people think God's just up in heaven with some bad attitude looking to judge every single person. But it's just that in his nature, he's so perfect, he's so holy, that a sin comes in contact with God, the output is wrath. So you can't put sin and God together. If you need a math equation for it, it's God plus sin equals wrath. So if God and sin cannot be in the same room, that's a huge problem for us. Because we were created to be in relationship with God. And so we got to close this gap. How do we close this gap? Well, we need to shed blood. The blood, the shedding of blood covers a multitude of sins, right? But we can't shed our own blood because then we're dead and we can't be in the presence of God because we're not forgiven, right? So it kind of presents this huge problem for us. So how do we close this gap? Well, that brings us to our third. It's that we can't fix our brokenness. See, as human beings, we've tried to fix our brokenness and we've tried to do it a number of different ways. For some of us here today, we've tried to earn back our relationship, earn back favor with God by doing religious things. And let's just be honest. The reason some people come to church at Easter time or even right now at Christmas Eve time is because they're just hoping to give a nod to God. Like, see, God, I made it to church. You know, like when when I get to heaven, I hope you, you took attendance and see that I made it to every single service. You know, we, we show up Easter, Christmas Eve to just kind of maybe atone for the way that we've lived and rejected God's plan for our lives. And so we're like, see God, like I'm, I might give a little bit. I might sing a few of the Christmas songs. I listen to the message. I open up the Bible. See God, I'm sorry. All is well because I showed up to church. But listen, religion does not fix our brokenness. For others of us here today, we're like, well, I'm just a pretty good person or I'm trying to do good works or if I do enough good things but all those things cannot fix the brokenness that exists in our lives. See, some people think life is like a mountain and God's at the top of the mountain and we're all at the bottom of the mountain. And we all need to just climb up to God to get to God. And there's all these paths that we could take to get to God. For some of us, it's religion, good works, being a good person, doing good things. And so we all just got to pick our path and we could just work our way to the top of the mountain to God. But here's what the Bible says. Because of our sin, we cannot get to God on our own. But here's the good news of Christmas. When we could not get up to the mountain to God, God chose to come down to the mountain to get us. God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in our brokenness. The Christmas story is of God choosing to become a man who was born into this world. And he did what you and I could not do on our own. Again, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We cannot fix our brokenness. That's why Matthew 121 kind of gives us the solution to all of this. It says, she will bear a son and you, speaking of Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. Now, I don't want us to miss the significance of what's going on here. Because during this time, it was the father's responsibility to name the child. It was kind of to show uh, authority over his family. It was a very big deal. And again, we we know Joseph, he's mulling over all these things. We're not sure if he's going to leave or if he's going to stay or what he's going to do. 
And so, I don't know, maybe Joseph had some names. He was like, well, maybe I'll call the child this, or maybe I'll call the child that, or, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do this or that. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe he had all those names, but I love the angels like, hey, Joseph, none of those names are going to be good. They're all going to pale in comparison to what Jesus is here to do. He tells him, hey, Joseph, name him Yeshua, which means the one who comes to save. And I want us to think about the name of Jesus for just a second. Because there is so much power in the name of Jesus. You know, we sing songs about it today, about the power of the name of Jesus. We sing them all year long about the power of the name of Jesus. We read stories about how powerful the name of Jesus is. We're even told in the Bible that uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus. There is so much power in his name. But then look at what it says in verse 23. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love it because the angel's like, hey, Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save the people. But guess what? When the people know who he is, when they know what he's come to do, they're going to be like, no, it is God with us. It is Emmanuel. He is here in our presence. God came to save us. He isn't far off. Listen, we've been going through the Old Testament just looking at a few things. A few stories. And God seemed far off. It seemed like there were some things that you had to do to get close to God. Even between the Old Testament and Matthew here, it's what's known as the 400 years of silence. And so the people are going to be like, no, 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 he's not silent anymore. He's not afar off. He is close and he's come to save us. The Christmas story is about God becoming a man to live on this earth to save us. And I think if we're all being honest today, you and I, if you will, in the stories of our lives, we all need that. We all need saving. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we wanted nothing to do with God, living our own way, doing our own thing, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, because of my sin, I'll make it personal. Because of my sin, I deserve to die separated from God, spending all eternity separated from him. But because God loved me so much, he chose to do something for me that I could not do. He came into this world as the person of Jesus. He lived the perfect life because he was God in the flesh. And Jesus went to the cross and he offered himself up as a substitute for you and for me. And he died in our place. He took on all the judgment of God's wrath of sin on Jesus and Jesus died. But here's the best news of all. He did not stay dead. He rose again to prove that his sacrifice was enough for our sins. And because of that, through Jesus, we could be rescued and we could be saved. And you might be thinking, well, how do I get in on that saving? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that leads us to our final question today. What do I need to do to be saved? Romans 10, 13 tells us, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what I've tried to communicate today that I hope you've heard. It's that no matter who you are today, whether you got a lot of money, you got a little money, no matter what letters are behind your name, no matter your status at your job, in the community, whatever it is, I hope today you realize that you are worse off than you ever thought and you're like, well, that's real great. That's a great heartwarming Christmas message, pastor, you know. Welcome to Awaken Church. We're here to make you feel good about yourself, right? 
But I hope that you realize that, that today you are worse off than you realize. But here's the glorious good news of the gospel, of the Christmas story. You are worth more than you could fathom. That God loved you so much that he didn't want to leave you in your brokenness, but he made a way through his son. So how do you get in on this salvation? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word saved is the same word in Matthew, that he will save his people from their sins. Listen, it doesn't say that he's going to attempt to save you. It doesn't say that if you look good on Christmas Eve, uh, then, then he'll save you, or how you lived last week, he might save you, or how you're going to live this week, or as long as you open up and you read the Christmas story before you open up presents, then he'll save you. It's not that he's going to put you, if you're all put together, then he will save you. It says that he will save you if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised, that he's risen from the dead. Today, you can be rescued. And you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, well, this sounds all too easy. And you're right. It is easy for us because Jesus has already done all the work. That's why the Bible calls it grace. What a gift. And what a promise God has made to us. There's an old preacher, a quote that I read this week. And he said, his name is Charles Trumbull. And he said it like this. Grace is not partially man's work and partially God's work. It's wholly and exclusively God's accomplishment. All man can do is receive it as God's outright, undeserved, and wholly sufficient gift. I said yes to this gift some 20 plus years ago. And don't, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not up here saying I'm perfect. I got all together. I don't sin anymore. I'm f- far from it. Talk to Jen. You'll find out, all right? I'm far from it. But here's the thing. I may not be all the man that I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not the man that I used to be. Amen. And I think we all, as followers of Jesus, could say that. We may not be all that we are supposed to be, But thank God we aren't who we used to be. It's because of God's grace. God has been redeeming and restoring that which we lost because of sin. And here's my promise to you. He'll do the same for you. He'll forgive you. He'll love you. He'll take all the broken pieces of your life. And he'll build it back into a beautiful picture for his glory. Listen, you are not here by accident. You might think that you are because maybe you were bribed here, you know, to come to church and then you'll get some goodies, you know, from mom or grandma, you know. Maybe you're like, no, I'm just stationed here, so that's why I'm here. Now, you are not here by accident. The sovereign God of the universe has orchestrated everything in your life so that you could be here in this moment to hear the greatest news of all time, that the rescue of God is available for you. See, today and tomorrow, we're going to open up and give and receive gifts. God gave us a gift that we will never be able to repay. God gave us eternal life. And you know what gift we give him? We give him our sin, our shame, our guilt, all of our sins. Listen, Jesus committed none of those things, but we give him all those things. And you know what he gives us? He clothes us with his righteousness. We get eternity, salvation. And I thought about that this week. And I thought about all the gifts that we're giving our boys. And I thought about how I did everything possible to give them these gifts. I chose some of them. I paid for some of them. 
Jen, my wife, wrapped all of them. And because we're married, we're one flesh. So in a way, I wrapped them, you know. <laughs> Husbands, use it if you want. Let me know how it goes for you. I got the look. First service, she was like, really? Um, <laughs> but we're going to give them. We're going to offer them these gifts. We're going to give them these gifts. But listen, they really won't be their gifts until they take them and they make them their own. See, the same thing is true for us, spiritually speaking. God has done everything possible to give us the gift of salvation. But the only way it becomes ours is if we accept it by reaching out and inviting him to come into our lives. And so I know there's two different types of people here today, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And if you don't know Jesus today, listen, you can't be a Christian, a follower of Jesus by just coming to church every once in a while by kind of giving the nod to God saying, see, I did it. Or because your spouse or your parents were believers, it's not by proximity. It's have you chosen to make Jesus Lord of your life? Have you surrendered your life to him saying, it's not about my ways. I don't know what's best. Have you surrendered that and decided, hey, I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. If If you haven't, then in a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. But if you are a Christian here today, you follow Jesus. My hope and my prayer leading up to this is for you that you would be reminded of God's great gift of salvation. That yes, it's fun to give and receive gifts. It's fun to open them. It's fun to have all the food and all that stuff. My hope and my prayer is just for the last few moments, we would sit and we would think and we would be reminded of the greatest gift of all. If God did nothing else for us, if we had nothing else, We've already been given the best gift of all, hope beyond this life. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.